Well, it's good to see you guys today. My name is Matt Wolf. I'm the lead pastor here at Rice Church Denver. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, um, welcome. I'm glad you're here online and in person. Maybe you're on a boat right now or out camping. I'm glad you're joining us from your tent or maybe even just basking in the glow of a CU win. Okay. I'm, I'm, I went to CSU, Dave, sorry. But we can enjoy it for all the state of Colorado together. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Those groups, we have those signups today and then they're launching next week after next Sunday. So you gotta get in a group. We have 24 different groups. We have our community groups, which is our main group. That's 18 of the 24, um, which are about relationships and growing together as you learn together. Um, we use sermon-based groups. We also have some study groups that are really more focused on the growing and, and learning from the Bible. Um, we have some of those groups as well as the Financial Peace University. If you just need to get your finance in order. We have that launching next week. You, you definitely want to be a part of that group. And then we also have some meetup groups like our Young Professionals group and MOPS that are, are launching as well. And those are great ones to just get build on the folks on the relationship side. So if you just like, hey, I just need some friends. Hey, we can honestly say that, don't we? Don't we say that? Like, I just need friends. So, so get in one of those groups. We want everyone in our church to choose community and get in one of those groups. This week and next are those signups. Um, one other reminder, and you guys did pretty good today. I'm impressed. Um, we had three things that we're asking everybody to do because we are growing as a church. And even on Labor Day weekend, we're pretty full in here. Um, but I wanna ask you guys all to do three things because next week it's gonna be packed again, okay? Park far, sit up front, and invite a friend, okay? Three little practices that every single one of us can do, and even if this is your first Sunday, now you've heard it, you have to do it next week, um, is to park far because our tar parking lot is way too tiny. We got an eight-passenger um, limo golf cart that we will uh, shuttle you in if you park in the Montessori lot or just park farther, bike. I saw some people biking so that we can leave spots in our parking lot for our guests. And, and this morning, I saw that there's a, like three spots left. So thank you guys. It's better than the last three weeks. Um, so yeah, park far, as far as you can if you're able. Sit up front, because we all know the, the seats in the back are the best seats in the house. Let's leave those for our guests. Okay, those, those last couple rows. And then the last one, invite a friend, because we wanna help more people follow Jesus. That's what our mission is, to help people follow Jesus. So let's do those three practices. Okay, can we do that? And I think we are gonna put in a couple more rows next week uh, of seats. So we're gonna have more seats available. Okay, um, so with that said, are you guys ready for the final message in our Giant Slayer series? Yeah, that's why you guys came, right? The Giant Slayer, actually, maybe that's not the reason why you came. Maybe it's because you're friends, which is good. Giant Slayer part four. So back in 2013, a, a book came out by one of my favorite authors, Malcolm Gladwell, called David and Goliath. David and Goliath. And Malcolm Gladwell is great at looking at things that we thought we knew and trying to revise our way of viewing things. And he did the same with David and Goliath. And of course, he weaves in other stories throughout his book, as he does in all of his works, if you've ever read anything by him. But in this one in particular, it started with the idea of the story of David and Goliath. That he looked at that story... And he wanted to revise our view of it and primarily by saying, hey, it might not have been that much of an underdog story. It might not have been that big of a deal for David to face a giant. And in particular, when it comes to the battle scene that we're gonna cover today, he, he quotes uh, one man who was an Israeli ballistics expert. Okay? And this Israeli um, ballistics expert took one of the slings and, and tried to recreate one that would have been used in ancient Israel in David's day. And what they ran a series of tests, experiments that from about 35 meters from the subject, 
that when a stone was slung from the sling, it would leave at a um, velocity approaching 34 meters per second, which if hitting a target would come with enough force that this expert says, as a fair-sized modern handgun. It's like a bullet leaving a gun. And he quotes another martial arts historian, which is a pretty cool title, if you ask me. And this is what this person said. He, he said, Goliath had as much chance against David as any Bronze Age warrior with a sword would have against an opponent armed with a 45 automatic pistol. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. David is rolling up with a handgun in a sword fight. Who's gonna win? Okay, I've seen the first Indiana Jones. I know who wins that battle, right? And if that's the case, that that's how it really was, then it's not really that much of a David and Goliath story, is it, right? In fact, it's almost like any human being could beat a giant. Hmm. And I think it brings up an important point that we're gonna look at today because David did sling the rock, the smooth stone that sailed straight into Goliath's forehead and knocked him down and led to his death. So is this just a human thing? Can we on our own slay giants? If you just read Malcolm Gladwell's book, you might leave thinking, oh, maybe that's right. But unfortunately, as much as I love Malcolm Gladwell, he missed a lot of key details in the story that we're gonna see today. And as we look at it, that yes, there is a human element. There always is a human element in the way that God works through us to slay giants. And there's a role that we play that we'll cover today. And yet still, God is the true giant slayer. God is the true giant slayer. And that's what we're gonna learn today as we finish out the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're gonna start in verse 40 today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. If you have your smartphone, you can find our version event. Um, and we're gonna look together at this passage. And we've been covering chapters 16 and 17 over the last three weeks. We're gonna wrap up today um, and I just want to catch you up before we actually read this verse because David is this young shepherd boy who, um, you know, he was anointed as king. And, and we learned in that first week that God empowers those he chooses. Like it seems like there's nothing really special about him. In fact, he's the son that his dad forgot about. And yet God chooses who he chooses and whoever he chooses, he empowers with his spirit. And that's why every single one of us can become a giant slayer. And we all face giants in our lives, things that we look up to and say, there's no way I could overcome this bankruptcy. There's no way that I could over overcome this grief or this loss. There's no way that I could get out of this hole and overcome this. And when you have those giants in your life, it's good to know that God empowers us with his spirit, right? So that's what we learned in week one. In week two, Pastor Sam came and taught us that David was brought in by Saul because Saul was dealing with an evil spirit and whenever that evil spirit would come on him and he would feel awful, David would play music for him. He would worship and we learned to worship first, accept the assignment and repeat, make war, right? I like that, an acrostic. And then last week we started this battle with David and Goliath because David was still serving his dad as a shepherd 
even though he had been playing music, but, but at least for a span of 40 days, he had been away from the battlefield to know that the Philistine army had come and a giant who was over nine feet tall with 125 pound armor and a great big spear was coming out every day and taunting the Israelites and their God and saying, if anyone could just fight me and defeat me, then you'll win. We'll become your slaves. And if uh, we beat your champion will become your slaves. And, and from that, we learned that, that David, from David, that we shouldn't let someone else weigh us down. Whether it was the fears of someone else, whether the opinions of someone else, or someone else's armor. Because Saul, finally, when, when he's like, okay, David, you can come in here and fight this giant. You can be our champion. He, he gave him his own armor because he's like, you gotta do it like Goliath did it. You gotta do it like I would do it. And David put it on the armor. He's like, I can't do this. This is not me. So he took it off and prepared for battle. And that's what we're gonna learn first. We're gonna learn two points today. Two points today as we look at this idea of, okay, what, what do we do as humans and what does God do? And the first thing is that we should prepare because God has prepared you. So which one is it, okay? Prepare because God has prepared you. So let's pick up this story now in verse 40 after David has taken off this armor from Saul and in verse 40, we read, then David took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So remember, they're in the Valley of Elah, which would have been like the, the, the highway connecting Philistia and Israel in the ancient world. So if the Philistines took that valley, they would take the, the route in and be able to conquer the entire nation. So David walks into the middle of the valley and picks up five smooth stones, right? I know I don't have a riverbed here, but that's what it would have been right there in the middle of the valley. He's got his five smooth stones. He puts them in his pouch that he would have had at his waist. And what was he doing when he picked up those five smooth stones? He was preparing. He was preparing for the battle. And what I find interesting is if you've read ahead in this story, which most people have heard this story, um, he doesn't need five shots, does he? Have you ever thought about this? I think the five smooth stones may be the most fascinating detail in this entire story. David picks up five smooth stones, puts them in his pouch. He even takes a shepherd's staff. And as you've learned from the story, he doesn't need the staff, does he? But that's for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Why does he get five stones and why does he get his staff? He's preparing. But you're like, oh, but, but doesn't he have faith? Okay, he's one of the most faithful men in the entire Bible. Having faith does not exclude preparation. A few of you are laughing, but it's true, okay? Somebody needs to hear this. I used to hear that the idea of faith is like, you're just leaping out blindly, you know, on the invisible bridge, like in the third Indiana Jones movie, right? And you just gotta take that leap of faith. That's what faith is, right? It's burn the ships. Isn't that what the conquistadors did when they came to Central America? You burn the ships because they know then there's no way to retreat. That's not faith. That's called risk, <laughs> maybe even foolishness, certain situations. Some people think that to have faith means you don't prepare, you just go out and do it. But that's not what David shows us. In fact, that's not how the Bible shows us at all. Even Jesus, when he sent out his disciples two by two, he told them, hey, make sure you got a cloak, 
Okay, bring a bag. At one point he says, even bring a sword. Why do you need a sword unless you gotta be prepared for something? If you're just walking out in faith, let the angels take care of me. No, no, no. Preparation is part of faith. It's interesting, in the book of Nehemiah, there's another really faithful leader and he is called by God to, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after they've been torn down. And it says at one point when they're afraid that they're gonna be attacked by some enemies, it says those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And in verse 18, it says, and each of the builders wore his sword as he side, at his side as he worked. Why do you do that? If God has called you to build something, shouldn't you just go in there and, and be strong and faithful? Oh, God will protect us from his enemies. Well, you still gotta be prepared. That, that verse, by the way, is like the, the theme verse for our safety team here at the church. Okay, we got a whole team of volunteers that keeps us safe every week. Thank you guys very much for keeping us safe. Does that mean we don't have faith? No, we prepare too, right? Faith does not exclude preparation, and that's why we should prepare. And if we're gonna face a giant, if we're facing something huge, enormous in front of us that we don't think we can handle, get prepared. Prepare yourself for it. I'm serious. What do you need to prepare? Did you know that God called me to be a pastor when I was 12 years old? I didn't start preaching when I was 12 years old. In fact, nobody would have me if they would have gotten up to preach. I tried my first sermon at 16 and it was terrible. I needed to practice and prepare some more. I ended up going all over the place learning some important life lessons. <laughs> and then I finally started studying in college to learn what I needed to. And then I went to seminary. It wasn't until I was 24 years old that I was a pastor. Were those 12 years meaning I was faithless? No, you've got to prepare for what God has called you to. And if God has put a giant in front of you, get prepared. Study, learn, practice, get some wise counsel if you're about to make a huge decision. Seriously, some people think faith is like, I just gotta go do it. Gotta get married today. I, I gotta go be a missionary today. I, I gotta go start this business. I gotta quit my job today. It's like, maybe, but maybe you need to prepare first. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm telling you guys the truth here. This is the biblical truth. And David picked up five smooth stones because he's like, I hope one of these stones will kill him but I got five plus a stick in case I need that. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. He's getting prepared. So what's God's role? It seems like it's all humans, right? It's just this man in charge of everything he's preparing. But what's the reality? It's that God has actually prepared David all along for this. Why does he know to pick up smooth stones? Whenever you get a detail in the Bible, it's important. Okay, this is not like a Tom Clancy novel or John Grisham where there's just a thousand details on every page. That's how Americans write books. Not ancient Hebrews. They had limited paper. Every detail that's in there is important. And if it says it's a smooth stone, why does he say that? Not just that it's from the riverbed, but he knew that a smooth stone would fly faster and truer. He didn't want a jagged rock because he wanted to go exactly where it should go. To fly through the air and not... Do whatever, okay? He, he wanted to make sure that he would hit his target. Why did he know that? Because for years and years, he'd had his sling out in the wilderness when he was taking care of his sheep. See, God had prepared him for decades when he was just doing manual labor. When he was a rancher, taking care of the sheep. 
And, and David had even said that when he came to Saul. And Saul's like, you're too young. You can't handle a giant. That guy's a grown man. You're a little boy. And he says, hey, I've been out with the sheep. I have fought lions and bears. I have experience in my past. Now, when David went to the battlefield, he didn't even know there was a giant that was a champion to fight. He didn't bring five smooth stones with him, did he? He didn't know any of this was happening. He was bringing food. He, he was driving DoorDash, right? Bringing food to the front line. He didn't know any of this was gonna happen, but God had prepared him for decades leading up to this or for 16 years or however old he is, right? All those years of being out in the wilderness, he'd probably been bored and shooting rocks again and again and again, trying to hit a little tin can, right? Or whatever the ancient equivalent was. God had prepared him and prepared him and prepared him so that right when the giant came, he knew what to do. So who was it that prepared? David, yes. And God, yes. So I wanna challenge you to prepare for the giant you're facing, but also look back in your life. How has God prepared me for this moment? I guarantee you, there are some bad things you went through to prepare you. There, there are some failures. There are some broken relationships that, that maybe your dad wasn't there when you were a kid and you learned some responsibility on your own at a very young age. You shouldn't have had to go through that, but you did. And now you're prepared for what you're facing now. The worst things that have happened to you in your past might have been put there to prepare you for the future. What the enemy intended for evil, God intended for good. Didn't we hear that already today? But the good things too, you passed that test. You had that job. You succeeded when others had failed. You went through a pandemic, okay? All these things have prepared you for the moment you're in right now, and don't forget it. If God has brought you through that in the past, he can bring you through this in the future. God has prepared you for what you're facing right now. Whatever that giant is, and some of you have a giant right now, God has prepared you for it. So get prepared. Get prepared. So David gets these stones, right? Gets five of them but he doesn't need five, does he? And this is the second point that we're gonna learn. Fight, because God fights for you. Once again, who is it? Is it David throwing the stone? Is he the one stepping up to fight courageously? Or is it God who slays a giant? Yes, <laughs> fight, because God fights for you. Fight because God fights for you. Let's keep reading in our passage. Verse 41, so after David is now armed, it says, meanwhile, the Philistine, Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, that's an important detail. Malcolm Gladwell, you missed it. We'll get to why that's important in just a minute. Kept coming closer to David. In verse 42, he looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. I love those, that detail too, right? Looking good. And he despised him. Verse 43, he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
Okay, this is an ancient schoolyard taunt, okay? If you picked up on that, okay? People have been taunting each other for millennia, right? It's what you do before a fight. It's what you do before the big game. Everybody's taunting each other. And Goliath is taunting David. He's ready for the battle, but in verse 45... It says that David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He knows that this is way bigger than just a battle between human, two human beings, right? There's a spiritual element when a giant is involved. Verse 45, I'm sorry, verse 46. This day... David says, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. This is a biblical taunt, right? Okay, you gotta practice that, kids. But, but look at this passage, like who is it that's gonna fight? David's like, God's gonna give you into my hands. Is it the human hands or God? Yes. Verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. God's gonna win this battle for me. So then David just sits there and waits for God to strike him with lightning, right? Is that what happens in the story? Does he just sit there and like wait? Oh, God's gonna take care of him, right? He says, God's gonna win the battle. God's gonna take down the giant. But that's not what he does. Instead, he gets ready to fight. (laughs) And he moves forward to fight. This is so important. David is not just sitting back and be like, well, God's in charge, he is sovereign, I trust him and I have faith that he will strike down the giant. Giant, Maybe he's gonna trip on his way over here, maybe something's gonna happen, right? I don't need to do anything, right? That's not what happens. He's fought bears, he's fought lions, he knows he's gotta do something, right? He's gotta get moving, he's gotta get his sling, slinging. He's gotta get that stone soaring. He knows he's gotta do something. He's gotta fight. And that's so important. We have to fight our giants. We have to get up and fight. Okay, God is a provider, right? He's a provider. When Elijah was hungry in the middle of nowhere and depressed, God sent birds to bring him food and feed him. So the next time you're hungry, just wait for God to bring the birds. Yeah, you laugh at that, right? It's silly to think about it. It's humorous, right? No, if you're hungry, go in the kitchen and make a sandwich, right? You don't just wait for the birds to bring you your food. When Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread, we still gotta go bake the bread or buy the bread, right? That's part of the process that God uses to get us bread. Yes, he can bring birds that bring you bread, but he's gonna ask you to get some food. You've gotta do it. It's the same way with getting sick. There's a lot of people who in faith are like, yes, I'm sick, but I believe that God is a healer. Amen. So I don't need to take medicine or go to the doctor. Where's that in the Bible? What what are you saying, Matt? I don't have, I need to have the faith, right? No, no, no. Okay, yes, have faith, ask for healing, pray. And God has given us medicine and doctors 
and all sorts of stuff to help. You've got to fight for your health sometimes. With infertility, Melissa and I learned this. God is the author of life, right? Amen. He knits babies together in their mother's womb. Amen. He creates all life. No animal or human being, especially made in his image, would have life without God breathing that life into every human being. And yet, even the most faithful people know that you gotta do something to make a baby, right? You guys picking up what I'm laying down or do we need to go back to sex ed class, okay? <laughs> There's something that humans do in the process, right? Okay, don't use the virgin birth excuse. It only happened once, it was a miracle, okay? We know there's something humans are involved in. So, as Melissa and I discovered over our five years of infertility before we had McKinley, we had to try some stuff. We had to go see some doctors. We had to try treatment and go through all sorts of stuff. And that's what God used to breathe life into McKinley. Does that mean we're faithless? No. We fight because God fights for us. And he comes through as we're taking steps forward in faith, whatever those steps are. Guys, tracking with me on this? And that's what David is doing here. So some of you just need to hear this. Get up and fight. Move forward. Take a step. Try something. Get moving. The giant's not gonna topple unless you move in that direction. And that's what we see again and again in the Bible. Even the, the craziest miracles God performs. Joshua and the Israelites still marched around the Jericho wall seven days blew their horns, shouted before the walls came crumbling down. God used them in the process. With Gideon, Gideon had like 32,000 soldiers. God wanted to do a miracle. He's like, send them home. Ended up with 300 soldiers against a far vast number of Midianites. And God still said, okay, I want you to go down in the middle of the night, surround them, break a jar and shout really loud. And it terrified the Midianites God won that battle. They fled and they were defeated. But still, humans played a little part because that's how God works miracles. He uses us in the process. Nobody would say, oh, yep, that's just a natural thing that happened. No, it's still a miracle. Still God coming through. But he uses us in the process. Even Jesus, the disciples come to him. We got 5,000 people out here in the middle of nowhere and there are no food trucks. How are we gonna feed all these people? And Jesus says, what do you have? They're like, well, we got nothing. They ask the little kid, he's got, I got some fish and some bread. Okay, give it to us and boom, Jesus works a miracle to feed 5,000. What do you have? He's still using a little small part in what we contribute because he wants us to be involved in that. So what do you have to contribute? What do you have to do? What do you have to fight for so that God will fight for you? There's even one famous verse that a lot of people turn to to get the opposite idea in the um, Exodus, right after they leave, after the 10 plagues, God's people are leaving slavery in Egypt. But before they can get out of there, the Egyptians are like, actually, we kind of want our slaves back. They come chasing them down, right? And, and the Egyptian army is pressing against the Israelites and the Red Sea. There's no escape. They're about to be surrounded and enslaved again. But there's this famous verse that people turn to again and again, and I love it. Because God says to the Israelites, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. So we quote that out of context all the time, right? Say, hey, I don't need to do anything. I'm just gonna be still. 
I'm gonna be still. But do you know what the very next verse is? God commands Moses to pick up his stick, hold it over the water. He's doing something. And then when the water parts, the Israelites still have to march across with a sea on either side, which must've been terrifying. You gotta get moving, God is saying. Yes, I'm gonna defeat the Pharaoh and his army, but you've gotta move, you've gotta fight. It is not filled with faith to do nothing. That's just foolishness. God wants us to move forward. He wants us to step up. He wants us to fight because ultimately it is God who fights for us. God is the true giant slayer. Even with all this talk about how humans are involved in it, it's still God. This is still a miracle. It's still an incredible thing that God pulls off. Look at verse 48. It says that as the Philistine, as Goliath moved closer to attack David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And in verse 49, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, one stone, right? Taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him with one stone. He killed the giant. And I think David knew all along, this has got to be God. Do you know why? Because he packed five stones. The the problem that Malcolm Gladwell has is like, I, I think he misses some of these details when he looks at the story. They, they were talking about a stone thrown 35 meters. 35 meters, like an average person can run that in like five seconds. If he was only 35 meters from Goliath, he wouldn't have had five stones. He'd pick one or two maybe. Why did he pick five? He must've been farther away. There must've been some distance between David and the giant and David's running full speed towards Goliath while Goliath is coming towards him. He has a limited amount of time and he still thinks I might be able to get off five shots, okay? This is a long distance. So David, in case you didn't know, is not American Sniper, okay? He's not Chris Kyle. He's not Mark Wahlberg and Shooter, okay? This is a long distance. And on top of that, there's the shield bearer. Malcolm Gladwell doesn't even talk about that guy. But this guy, his whole job was to hold a giant shield and block projectiles. Do you understand that? That was his whole job. And he's just out there like, I gotta make sure this giant doesn't get hit. Because there were entire sling brigades in ancient armies. Any one of those guys could have come down if it was just like a handgun. Like, why not just come down and take out Goliath? But there was a shield bearer in the way. And on top of that, Goliath had his armor all over his body and a helmet. We actually have some ancient pictures of what the Philistine helmets would have looked like. In Malcolm Gladwell's book, he says that his forehead would have been left unprotected. Uh, nope, that's not what Philistine helmets look like. They actually come down over the forehead because they know that's one of the places that would be available for an archer or a slinger to hit. So really, there's maybe this like tiny little area on top of the eyes or between the the two eyes that, that a stone could hit and actually knock someone down, maybe? We're talking about the size of a pea that David has to hit from 100 yards away, maybe? And I don't care how great of a shot he is and how much he's practiced out there in the wilderness. 
he's moving, adrenaline is pumping, and there is David running full speed. Have you ever tried to shoot something while you're running? There's a whole Olympic sport called biathlon, right? You know what this is? You ski and shoot, and it's hard. Why? Because your adrenaline's pumping. You can't stabilize your arms. And David is running at Goliath to hit that, hit that one shot, right? And hit him in the face, right? <laughs> See, that's what I do when I try to do it, right? In other words, this is like a one in 650 million chance shot, right? It would be nearly impossible to hit exactly where he needs to. And it says that when Goliath is hit, that he falls forward. Meaning it wasn't the velocity of a handgun to knock him backwards. It was just enough to maybe knock him out. And he fell forward. And we don't know if that's what killed him because David was still unsure. So he runs forward, pulls the sword out of Goliath's own sheath and chops off his head. Didn't learn that in Sunday school, did you? It's the best part of the story though. Because he needed to make sure the job was finished. David knew if this stone, if just one of them can kill a giant, it's God all the way. God is the true giant slayer. Yeah, I'm prepared. Yeah, I'm planned. Yeah, I'm practiced. Yeah, I'm getting up there and I'm throwing the stone. But it's God first to last. God is the true giant slayer. He even gave David the strength to do it, the courage to step up when nobody else would. God is the true giant slayer. And when you have a giant in your life, you need God on your side. And it's with him that you can slay a giant. With him, you can slay a giant. Look at verse 51 with me. I want you to read this. It says that David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine sword and drew it from the sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. Don't you love that? See, it's always God who's the giant slayer. And this is again and again in the Bible. Look at Deuteronomy 130. It says, the Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you. And in Joshua 10, 14, before they fight a battle where the sun literally stands still, miracle, there has never been a day like it before since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Sure, the Lord was fighting for Israel. God is the one who fights. God is the one who wins every battle. He just uses us in the process. You know, back at the uh, start of this series in verse 16, when, when Samuel was trying to figure out which, which of these boys, which of the sons would be the true king, God's like, hey, don't look on the outside, look at the heart. Do you remember this? So what was it in David's heart that God saw? I think he saw a heart that was willing to step out in faith. That's it. A heart willing to step out in faith and trust God to come through. Louis Giglio, pastor in Atlanta, he, he says this about the story. If we can pull up that quote. When David faced Goliath, the army of Israel was fixated on how much bigger the giant was compared to them. But David was focused on how much smaller the giant was compared to his God. Isn't that good? It's the truth. Our God is a giant slayer. And he can defeat your giant with one smooth stone. So if you're here in person, you should have a smooth stone on your seat. Before you walked in, maybe it's on the floor now. Find this smooth stone. You should also have a permanent marker on your seat. And I want you to take this out and I want you to write your giant on your stone. Whatever the biggest thing is you're facing right now, 
And I know some of you have like an active giant right now. Some of you are like, oh no, I'm not really facing anything huge. Maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's depression, maybe it's grief. But I want you to write down that on there. It could be someone's name. I won't look. But I want you to take a moment and write down the name of your giant on this rock. And now I want you to take that home with you, okay? And I want this to be a reminder that you've got something that you're gonna contribute to this, right? But in reality, God only needs one smooth stone to take down a giant. He doesn't even need all the preparation you've done, all the learning, all the experiences you've gone through. He just needs a smooth stone. And that's more than enough for God to slay a giant. This is your reminder to take from here. God is the true giant slayer. And let me tell you even better news is that Jesus too is our giant slayer. Because we all struggle with sin, we struggle with addictions, and we cannot defeat sin in this life. We try, we fail. We will all face death at some point in this life unless Jesus returns. And that giant stands undefeated, except for one time when Jesus went up and he lived a perfect life. He lived a sinless life and he went to death on the cross in your place to fight those giants and he won. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to prove that even the greatest enemies that we would face, sin, death, and the devil can be defeated through Jesus. And you put your faith in him and you step forward in faith, he will slay your giants for you. Jesus is your giant slayer. Let's pray. Lord God, I know there's some people in here who wrote down some scary stuff on their stones. They're dealing with some stuff that I can't even imagine. What they're struggling with, what they're going through is so hard. Lord God, remind them that you are the giant slayer. They just need to step out in faith with whatever it is to trust you, whether it's to prepare, whether it's to fight, but that you're the one who will come through. You're the one who fights our battles. You're the one who wins our battles because you are the giant slayer. And with eyes closed, let me just tell you this. Some of you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ for the first time so that you will know that the God of the universe, the God of David, the same God who slayed Goliath will slay your giants. And if you want that assurance, you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond with a simple prayer today. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody around you who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith, I declare Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the gift of eternal life. Help me to follow you and step out in faith to slay giants. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you and we actually wanna give you a little book to help you with some of those first few steps in your journey. So on the count of three, put your hand high in the air. One, two, three. Put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. Praise God, I see one hand here in the front. Let's celebrate with this, this person. Yeah, keep your hand up and we'll bring you the book. Um, Lord God, we're just so grateful that you save us, that you call us, that you are the same God today as you were in ancient history, the same God of David as you are for us. 
And that's why we worship you. We love you. Amen.